Welcome to the Willie Jackerson Experiment. I'm your host, D1, the only Willie Jackerson. All right. Oh, this is awesome. So I got a great show planned for you. Um, one thing that kind of triggered me on this one is I was listening to Elon Musk saying that we will land on Mars in our lifetime. And to me, that's kind of cool. You know, I'm like, oh, all right, you know. And I guess what they're saying is that it will be like a one-way trip. So basically, the humans that leave for Mars are not planning on coming back. They're planning on leaving here and staying the rest of their lives on Mars. So that's pretty crazy to think about, you know, that you're not thinking about going there and coming back. You're thinking about just going there and staying. So... Uh, one thing I thought about was I was like, man, well, you're going to need like an electrician there, you know, and, uh, you know, you're going to need somebody to write the Mars electric code. And, you know, I think I could do it. You know, I think I could do it like code times three. I could just make sure everything's all titanium uh, rigid. And then like there would be no arguing about code over on Mars because we'll just make sure everything's code times three, you know, going to exceed the, the national electric code and, and just make a uh mec you know a mars electric code and and it'll be it'll be cool to you know just do everything like uh code times three and uh i thought about it i said man that'd be kind of cool you know to go over there and uh you know actually set up like a an outpost base over there and you know just kind of like live on mars and just like live out the rest of your life on mars um so it's kind of cool to think about and then i uh, in this episode, I kind of go over a lot of the different things about, you know, what it would be like, um, you know, as far as, you know, the, the things that they have over there. And, you know, you look at all these different movies that they have and stuff, and uh, it's pretty crazy. And then, you know, I kind of ran across the uh, the original heavy metal song uh, from classical music, uh, Mars, the Bringer of War. So I'll throw a little few clips in from that. And Uh, Like I say, I like doing a lot of music, and uh, I like thinking about, you know, what it would be like to go travel to Mars and and live out the rest of your days on another planet. You might not even make it a year. You never know. I mean, it'd be like the same thing as, uh, you know, like colonizing America. You know, you come across in a boat, and you're you're not planning on going back to England because it's whatever's over there is worse than where you're going, so... Yeah, I think it would be kind of cool, and I think I could make a, a pretty cool, you know, government over there where it's like, you know, we just, you know, basically utopia, kind of like, you know, when, when the pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock. So, hope you enjoyed this episode. Every time you see me, you earthlings turn and run. I don't know what your problem is. I'm really super fun. I'm a Martian. Not a great white shark. I'm a Martian. I play frisbee in the park. Come over to my party. It's not that long a trip. You'll be glad you made the journey for my seven-layer dip. I like sharing cheese pizza. You see, I'm not so bad. Do you like little puppies? I make them in my lab. I'm a Martian. I hope for you no ill will. A Martian. Does someone need a chill pill? My name's Marvin, I'm a Martian. La 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 lee, la la lee lee loo. Let's share a lemon soda and talk about our feelings. 
face, but don't insult my helmet, cause then I'll get the ceiling. I got a laser! And it's pointed at your planet. It's my laser! So don't take me for granted. I'm a Martian! Boom shakalaka. I'm a Martian! Shakalaka. Boom. America's next unmanned mission to Mars is scheduled to lift off from the Kennedy Space Center in November. It will be followed by a second mission in December. I should tell you that the first mission is scheduled to land on Mars on July the 4th, 1997, Independence Day. It is well worth contemplating how we reach this moment of discovery. More than four billion years ago, this piece of rock was formed as a part of the original crust of Mars. After billions of years, it broke from the surface and began a 16 million year journey through space that would end here on Earth. It arrived in a meteor shower 13,000 years ago. And in 1984, an American scientist on an annual US government mission to search for meteors on Antarctica picked it up and took it to be studied. Appropriately, it was the first rock to be picked up that year, rock number 84001. Today, rock 84001 speaks to us across all those billions of years and millions of miles. It speaks of the possibility of life. If this discovery is confirmed, it will surely be one of the most stunning insights into our universe that science has ever uncovered. Its implications are as far-reaching and awe-inspiring as can be imagined. Even as it promises answers to some of our oldest questions, it poses still others even more fundamental. We will continue to listen closely to what it has to say as we continue the search for answers and for knowledge that is as old as humanity itself, but essential to our people's future. Thank you. Hello, welcome to Neoscribe. As far back as the second millennium BC, ancient astronomers identified five celestial objects moving differently than the backdrop of stars. The Greeks called them planetes, meaning wanderers, and many ancient civilizations would go on to worship them as deities. With its abundant iron oxide dispersed on its surface, giving it a reddish appearance, the Romans worshipped Mars as the god of war. Over time, mystical worship shifted to fantastical speculation of intelligent life on Mars. In 1877, Italian astronomer Giovanni Schiaparelli observed a network of linear structures on the surface of Mars, leading to a surge of speculation of the possibility of intelligent life on the planet. The idea of an advanced Martian civilization was widely covered by newspapers and magazines along with many science fiction novels, capturing the imagination of the public right up to the space age and the first missions to Mars. Between October 1960 and November 1962, the Soviet Union launched five missions to Mars. Each one failed. NASA continued that streak of misfortune in 1964 with the failure of Mariner 3. Three weeks later, NASA launched the Mariner 4 spacecraft, becoming the first successful mission to Mars. Mariner 4 was a flyby mission and it reached Mars on July 14, 1965, marking an incredible historic moment. 
Equipped with the telescope, Mariner 4 took 22 close-up images of Mars. These were the first images ever captured and returned to Earth from deep space. Mariner 4 transmitted measurements of Mars' atmosphere, which turned out to be much thinner than expected. Additionally, it did not detect a magnetic field, radiation belts, or surface water. These findings dashed the hopes of discovering intelligent life on Mars. Just two days after Mariner 4 was launched, the Soviet Union launched the Zond-2 spacecraft, but they lost communications with it, making it the sixth failed Mars mission in a row for the country. Then NASA went back to Mars with Mariner 6 and 7, launched in February and March 1969. 6 and 7 were both flyby missions, and both were successful. The spacecrafts uncovered that Mars' atmosphere is comprised of mostly carbon dioxide. They also were able to transmit 201 images back to Earth, covering around 20% of the surface. But the images did not reveal any of the canals mistakenly observed by late 19th century astronomers, another letdown for intelligent life hopefuls. However, Mariner 6 and 7 detected trace amounts of water on the surface of Mars, providing some hope to finding life on the planet. Back to the Soviet Union, it launched the Mars 2M number 522 in 1969 and the Cosmos 419 in 1971. Both missions failed, extending their streak to nine unsuccessful missions. And then finally, in May 1971, the Soviet Union launched the twin space probes Mars 2 and 3. The probes were identical, each consisting of an orbiter and a lander. Both orbiters were successful, transmitting a total of 60 images, discovering mountains as high as 22 kilometers, and revealing surface temperatures between negative 110 and 13 degrees Celsius. And the orbiters likely remain in Mars orbit to this day. Buying solar panels. Mars 2 and 3 landers, on the other hand, did not fare so well. Meanwhile, back at NASA, they launched two orbiters, Mariner 8 and 9, also in May 1971. Mariner 8 failed, but Mariner 9 was highly successful. Despite launching 11 days after the Soviets' Mars 2 and 3, Mariner 9 beat the others to Mars, becoming the first spacecraft to orbit another planet. When Mariner 9 arrived at Mars, it found the surface completely covered by a planet-wide dust storm, and scientists had to delay imaging for months until the storm settled. Mariner 9 was able to transmit over 7,000 images, covering 85% of the planet's surface. The images revealed riverbeds, vast canyon systems over 4,000 kilometers long, along with massive extinct volcanoes, including Olympus Mons, the largest known volcano in the solar system. 1973 was a busy year for the Soviet Union, which launched Mars 4, 5, 6, and 7. All four missions failed for the most part, except Mars 5 managed to transmit 180 images before it was disabled, likely from a micrometeoroid. At this point, the Soviet Union only had two successful missions out of 18, and it wouldn't attempt another mission on Mars for 15 years. Moving on to 1975, we have NASA's Viking 1 and 2. The Vikings were pretty much identical, both consisting of an orbiter and a lander, and they were a smashing success. The primary mission for the Viking 1 orbiter was to take global images of Mars days leading up to the orbit. This amazing mosaic image of Mars was made possible by the work of the Viking 1 orbiter. Viking 2's orbiter transmitted almost 16,000 images of Mars over the course of about 700 orbits. 
And then the Viking 1 lander took this incredible image, the first panoramic image taken from the surface of Mars. For the first time, we can see what it would be like to stand on the Martian surface. The landers also recorded information about the planet's climate and a precise cataloging of the Martian soil, made largely of iron-rich clay. Lastly, the landers conducted three experiments designed to uncover signs of life on the planet, but they did not uncover evidence for the presence of living microorganisms in the soil. After the Viking missions, the world took a break from Mars missions until 1988 when the Soviet Union launched the Phobos 1 and 2 space probes, named after one of Mars' two moons. Phobos 1 failed and Phobos 2 managed to transmit 37 images of the moon Phobos. These would be the last Mars missions attempted by the Soviet Union, putting its mission total to 20 over the span of 28 years, which speaks to their commitment if nothing else. Can we get a golf clap for Perseverance? Anyway, NASA came back on the scene in 1992 when they launched the Mars Observer Orbiter that lost communications, ending its streak of five successful missions in a row. Skipping on to 1996, a busy year for Mars exploration. In November, NASA launched the Mars Global Surveyor Orbiter that would go on to make discoveries for the next 10 years. The MGS was a global mapping mission that revealed evidence of ancient lava flows and it uncovered a multitude of goalies formed by flowing water. Some of the goalies suggest that water may have been flowing on the planet as recent as 2001. That same month, the Russian space agency Roscosmos launched the Mars 96 probe that failed to leave Earth's orbit. Then, in December 1996, NASA launched the Pathfinder lander along with the Sojourner rover. Pathfinder was able to transmit over 16,000 images and over 8 million measurements of Mars' atmospheric pressure, temperature, and wind speed. The Sojourner was the first wheeled vehicle to be used on another planet and serves as a foundation for all future Mars rovers. The vehicle gathered data from the surface terrain and transmitted over 2.3 billion pieces of data, along with over 17,000 images. The rest of the 1990s was lackluster to say the least, starting with Japan's first and only mission to Mars with the Nozomi Orbiter, launched in 1998, which ran out of fuel before reaching the planet. The incident sparked the founding of AAA's 24-hour interplanetary assistance program. Okay, I made that up. Anyway, NASA launched the Mars Climate Orbiter in 1998, then they launched the Mars Polar Lander and Deep Space 2 probe in 1999. All three missions failed. But NASA turned the corner in 2001 with the Mars Odyssey Orbiter, which is still operational to this day, making it the longest servicing spacecraft at Mars. The Odyssey revealed vast amounts of water ice in the polar regions buried beneath the surface. It also recorded the radiation environment, uncovering the risk to future human explorers. Two years later, in the summer of 2003, the European Union's ESA launched the Mars Express Orbiter and Beagle 2 lander, the first planetary mission attempted by the agency. Mars Express remains a highly successful mission and is still in operation. The orbiter made many discoveries, including uncovering evidence of Mars having long periods of flowing water, along with recording mineralogy maps that are used to help plot the history of the planet. The Beagle 2, on the other hand, lost communications after landing. Also in the summer of 2003, NASA launched the twin rovers Spirit and Opportunity, arguably the most successful planetary missions ever launched. 
The missions were designed to only last three months, but the incredible spirit and opportunity remained operational for six years and almost 15 years, respectively. The rovers transmitted well over 200,000 images combined. They uncovered evidence that Mars once held habitable environments containing water, warm temperatures, and thicker atmosphere compared to today. Now, we move on to 2005 with NASA's Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. The spacecraft made some great discoveries, such as measuring the volume of water on Mars ice caps to be around 821 cubic kilometers, equal to roughly 3% of Antarctica's ice sheet. Then in 2007, NASA launched the Phoenix lander, becoming the first successful landing on a Martian polar region. The lander examined deposits of underground water ice first detected by Odyssey, it observed falling snow on the planet, and it discovered perchlorate, a chemical on Earth that is food for some microbes. Moving along, 2011 had three Mars missions. On November 8th, Russia launched the Phobos Grunt Orbiter and China launched its first mission to Mars with the Yinghao 1 Orbiter. Both failed. And the third mission in 2011 was NASA's Curiosity rover, which was the first rover to drill into a rock and collect samples from another world. The rover detected sulfur, oxygen, nitrogen, carbon, among other life-forming chemical ingredients. It also measured radiation levels on the surface, which suggests that they are in a comparable range to what astronauts experience on board the ISS. 2013 had two missions, including ISRO's Mars Orbital Mission, India's first planetary mission. The mission is primarily a technology demonstrator, however, it is currently studying Mars' atmosphere and mineralogy. The second mission launched in 2013 was NASA's MAVEN Orbiter with the goal to determine how Mars' atmosphere and water were lost over time. The orbiter revealed that solar wind is responsible for stripping away the atmosphere of Mars over the years, leading to the evaporation of the planet's water being dispersed into space. 2016 brought the EXO program, a joint mission between ESA and Russia's Roscosmos. The program consists of the Trey Gra orbiter and the Shia Pirelli EDM lander launched on March 14th. The orbiter is designed to learn more about Mars' atmosphere, and its research and findings are still unfolding. Oh, who's responsible for this? However, the lander lost communications during the final landing stages and failed. Finally, the most recent Mars mission was launched in May 2018 with NASA's InSight lander that touched down on Mars' surface back in November. The lander is designed to study the interior of the planets where scientists hope to obtain a further understanding of how the solar system's planets formed and how they evolved. The insight is the latest iteration of mankind's deep curiosity for Mars. From ancient times when all we knew was a reddish speck of light wandering the night sky, worshipped as a deity, to the late 19th century where the planet appeared to contain a vast network of irrigation canals leading to wild speculation of intelligent life on the planet. While Mars has been demystified over the years, it remains the most studied planet besides Earth by far. Over the past 58 years, humanity launched 54 missions to Mars. The fact that only 26 of the missions were successful illustrates our resolve. And there are many more missions to explore Mars planned for the next six years, involving many nations including the EU, India, Japan, China, and the United Arab Emirates. And with SpaceX Starship and Super Heavy Rockets development in progress, we will witness humans walk on the planet in our lifetime. Mars exploration has only just begun.
That's all I have for now. I hope you enjoyed your journey. If you did, please leave a like and subscribe. I am Neil Scribe, and I'll see you on the next journey. Elon Musk's mission to Mars might sound like a fictional story, but the billionaire's vision is quickly heading towards reality. If he and his brainchild SpaceX can take the human race from Earth dwellers to a multi-planetarium race, it will be the most ambitious and expensive project in history, costing up to $10 trillion. In today's video, we're looking at Elon Musk's timeline to colonizing Mars and ultimately the cost of this intergalactic endeavor. The initial idea of Musk's to get man to Mars started way back in 2002, when he was in the midst of selling PayPal and pondering on his sofa, what's next? How building rocket ships and exploring the universe became the obvious progression is a mystery. But either way, the seed for SpaceX was well and truly planted. After seeing that there was nobody with a space program for Mars exploration in place, instead of being discouraged, Musk started working frantically on making the journey both financially and literally possible. The initial idea was to send a small greenhouse to Mars, packed with dehydrated nutrient gel that could be rehydrated to grow small houseplants on arrival. Sounds a little pointless, I know, but what you would get is a glimpse at the very first life on Mars, to our knowledge, invaluable data about what it takes to keep something simple like plants alive on Mars, and a set of inspiring photographs that might just get the planet excited about space travel becoming legitimate. With no expectations of turning a profit, Musk said that if he could afford it, it would be a worthwhile expense. However, he quickly realized that he couldn't. The cheapest US-made rockets were $65 million a pop, and he would need two of them. Russian-made ones would have been much cheaper at $20 million each, but with 1960s technology and questionable reliability, the Soviet offerings were also out. It quickly became apparent that people weren't going to Mars not because they didn't want to, but because it was just too expensive. Nobody is standing in line to send $130 million into space with no scope for a return. So the mission to Mars became more about improving rocket technology, making it more efficient and cost-effective than simply getting to the destination. Okay, the end goal is to get people to the destination and hopefully be able to get back too. But progression in rocket technology is now at the core of what SpaceX does and is the backbone to what they can potentially achieve. Assuming all goes to plan, Musk believes that the first SpaceX rocket could be heading for Mars as soon as 2022 and a permanent self-sustaining city could take shape as early as 2050. Here's how it's going down and what the future plans are for this once unimaginable quest. Everything that SpaceX has done to date has very much been paving the road to Mars. The countless satellite launches, hop tests and rocket technology developments have instilled confidence in Musk's ability to deliver his vision. 2020 will be the year of testing and funding. With three launches completed already this year and more than 36 in the pipeline, I think saying that SpaceX are perfecting their craft would be a real understatement. 24 of the 35 launches intend to carry 60 Starlink internet satellites, which will form SpaceX's super-fast broadband service. The internet venture is said to bring in around $22 billion in profits yearly by 2025. Who needs investors when you can sell the world's most sought-after commodity, Wi-Fi?
2020 will also see SpaceX sending out its first manned rocket, which could launch as early as May. 2021 will see SpaceX flagship rocket, the Starship, embarking on its very first commercial flight. The Starship will be the first ever fully reusable rocket and will be able to bring things into space, be it people, satellites or Mars rovers, and bring them back too. The Starship will also lay the foundation for Musk's plans to replace traditional airplane travel with rocket travel. He says that with the use of reusable launchers and passenger rockets, you could fly anywhere in the world in around 30 minutes for the price of a regular economy plane ticket. 2022 will be the absolute earliest year that SpaceX reaches Mars. Every two years, Earth and Mars align at their closest point, so it's naturally the best time for a launch. Musk has suggested that in 2022, he would like to send at least two unmanned ships to the Red Planet, carrying up to 100 tons of power, mining and life support infrastructure for future flights. The likelihood of these flights going ahead are slim, but with Musk, you really do never know. 2023 is when SpaceX has sketched in its most solid date in their diary. This is when they plan on sending Japanese billionaire Yusaku Miyazawa along with six to eight other accompanying artists on a trip around the moon and back. This will be SpaceX's first commercial passenger flight and its success would fare well with cautious onlookers who question the place of rocket technology in passenger travel. If the 2022 plans for Mars do not go ahead, which is probable, 2024 will be the next time the two planets align, so will be the ideal moment for a second attempt at sending the first Mars-bound shuttles of cargo. If SpaceX manages to send the two ships successfully to Mars, Musk says that the next steps will all point towards a fully manned mission. The interplanetary pioneers would be tasked with setting up a propellant production plant where they would make rocket fuel by combining Martian ice water and carbon dioxide to create methane and liquid oxygen, aka rocket propellant. Being able to create this fuel on Mars would be vital as it would be their only guaranteed ticket home. Musk has said that the first visit will be by no means a leisurely one, and any future ventures to Mars rely on its success. 2025 is the earliest year that Musk believes his Mars colony could really start to take shape. The lead Mars development engineer for SpaceX explained that subsequent launches following the very first would build on what's already there. With every new Mars landing, growth and expansion would be the underlying goal. He says that the idea would be rapid expansion. Start with a village, then a town, growing into a city, and then hopefully one day, multiple cities. The city centers would house habitats, greenhouses, and life support infrastructure to serve surrounding suburbs. With 2026 being the third alignment, this year will most likely see more ships being sent to Mars than ever before. What's gone up in the years prior will test the waters, and if it seems legitimately viable, which Musk believes it will be, 2026 will see the Mars city really establish itself. If 2026 sees real infrastructure and permanent habitable places popping up on Mars, having a fully-fledged city by 2050 doesn't seem like such an out-there proposition. By the end of this decade, Musk believes strongly that he will have some sort of settlement on the Red Planet and that in his lifetime, there's a 70% chance he'll make a personal visit himself. Whether or not SpaceX will be able to stick to this master plan is one thing, but what about the big elephant standing in the room? The financials. Musk has left the door wide open when answering this question, stating that putting a city on Mars within the next three decades could cost anywhere between $100 billion and $10 trillion. 
The finance calculations are based around the thinking that a city on Mars would require the transport of 1 million tons of cargo, minimum. A low estimate of $100,000 per tonne is how we get to the $100 billion number. But this doesn't take into account the cost of everything that goes on behind the scenes. Rocket scientists and astronauts are not known for being very cheap, and SpaceX is going to need quite a few of them. Development of materials, endless amounts of testing, licensing, insurances – all of these things cost money, and money that will indefinitely play a significant part on the suggested bottom line. It's not set in stone that Musk is going to be able to afford the venture, but the potential of $22 billion a year from the internet company sure is going to help, if $100 billion covers the cost, that is. If the cost of building the Mars city raises even close to the upper estimates, we will be venturing into a whole new ball game. $10 trillion is an almost unimaginable amount of money and would make the venture the most expensive construction project in human history. Being so ludicrously costly begs the question of why does Musk actually want to do this? I'm sure one of the first things that you learn in entrepreneur school is to not throw loads of money at something that's not likely to turn a profit. But maybe there's more to his plans than just money. In a 2018 presser, he said that, There's so many things that make people sad or depressed about the future, but I think becoming a space-faring civilization is one of those things that makes you excited about the future. That is the intent of Starship to make people excited about the future. The fact that getting the human race to Mars could be the most expensive project in history doesn't seem to bother Musk in the slightest. Maybe he has some hidden tricks up his sleeve that will land him a pretty return. Or perhaps he simply believes that you can't put a price tag on leading human exploration. One thing that's for certain is that Elon Musk and the work of SpaceX is making the here and now an incredibly exciting time to be alive. We will all be watching with eager eyes over the next few years as the true potential for Earth 2.0 starts to come to light. The proposed cost of a ticket to Mars is set to be around $250,000, with the idea being that you can sell your home and buy yourself a new life on Mars. If Musk is successful with his timeline, will you be buying a ticket in 2050? Early in his presidency, Barack Obama set a course for Mars. By the mid-2030s, I believe we can send humans to orbit Mars and return them safely to Earth. And a landing on Mars will follow. And I expect to be around to see it. And now, in an article published on CNN.com, Obama says the U.S. will partner with private industry in the journey to the Red Planet. Getting to Mars will require continued cooperation between government and private innovators, and we're already well on our way. Within the next two years, private companies will, for the first time, send astronauts to the International Space Station. NASA hopes the private companies will be able to advance their technologies by using resources previously only available to state-run space agencies. Six private companies have also been chosen by NASA to create prototype long-term space habitats for exploration of Mars. As the U.S. shifts to private-public space partnerships, several companies have their own Mars missions in the works. SpaceX aims to launch a manned mission to Mars in 2024. I think a future where we are, a space civilization, and 
out there among the stars is infinitely more exciting and inspiring than one where we are not. Dutch firm Mars One hopes to have an outpost on Mars by 2025, speeding up the process by planning one-way missions. Well, I think when you hear at first that we're sending humans to Mars in 10 years, it sounds like a, a, an impossible timescale. But when you, when you realize that we don't have the return mission to take care of and we need only existing technology, uh, then you can realize that it's possible. The new U.S. initiatives extend private-public space partnerships to new levels, but NASA has always worked with private companies. The only difference is that we now have entrepreneurs. We have new space companies coming in. Five starships land on Mars, marking the beginnings of the Mars colony. All of the Martian rovers sent by different countries before this day watch as the five uncrewed starships land and deliver life support systems. These pioneering starships pave the way for humans to land on Mars in two years' time, for fishes to be grown in nine years, and for the first baby to be born on the red planet in 15 years' time. The five starships land at Erebus Montes. The cargo ships are delivering essential life support systems. These are made up of solar panels, backup fuel, oxygen, water, dried food, waste management systems, spacesuits, medical supplies, and the first habitation pods. There are also tools and equipment for experiments. One of the starships is carrying Mars's new Starlink communications network and deploys it in orbit before landing to deliver life support cargo. Only four satellites are needed to create the Martian Starlink, as the Mars base will be concentrated to one area. There are also seven football fields worth of solar panels on the cargo list. These are used to power the future base and fuel production. Solar panels on Mars are only 43% as efficient as they are on Earth. Rovers, as well as robotic dogs by Boston Dynamics, which SpaceX uses to inspect rockets on Earth, are deployed from the starships to the Martian surface. Work begins on setting up the Mars base. The rovers and robots deploy the solar arrays. Prep work begins for fuel production experiments. Rovers begin drilling for icy water deposits. The Sabatier process is used to take the CO2 from the Martian atmosphere and hydrogen from mining Martian icy water and then uses heat and pressure to turn it into water, oxygen, and methane fuel. Multi-use rovers begin flattening and melting the Martian regolith, the loose soil, to prepare a large flat landing pad. It reduces the kick-up of dirt and rocks, increasing the safety for the next landings. The population on Mars is made up entirely of robots. Two years and two months have passed since the first landings of the five cargo starships, and the new launch window opens as Earth and Mars are close together again. Two starships carrying a total of 30 astronauts land on Mars. Ten additional cargo ships accompany them, carrying an oversupply of life support. These first astronaut settlers are scientists, engineers, medical specialists, and military personnel with scientific backgrounds. They all have to stay on Mars for the full two years and two months. This is not a short-term visit. It is a mission to make life sustainable and multi-planetary. During the first week on Mars, the astronauts are suffering from the effects of low gravity after the seven-month journey and have weaker muscles. The first week is used to acclimate to the gravity of the red planet and celebrate surviving the journey. 
the new settlers live in their starships that they landed in. The crew begins to adapt to their new surroundings. Life on Mars is harsh. The average temperature outside is minus 63 degrees Celsius or minus 81 degrees Fahrenheit, with a maximum of 20 degrees Celsius or 68 degrees Fahrenheit in the summer at the equator. Windstorms are common on Mars. They lift rust-colored dust into the atmosphere that can cover the entire planet. Mars also experiences quakes. Orbiters that are monitoring the climate on Mars act as weather satellites, warning astronauts of incoming dust storms and changes in the weather. The two-year-long work schedule begins. Days on the Red Planet are a little over 24 hours. The workday of unpacking and carrying heavy objects is made easier as the gravity on Mars is only 38% of that on Earth. Once the life support systems have been unpacked and deployed, the next priority is testing and starting production of cryomethane fuel. The fuel is needed for the return trip to Earth. A small crew of astronauts begin conducting experiments that test turning the Martian soil into a 3D printing material. The Green Project also gets underway to start growing plants indoors. Settlers begin cultivating the Martian soil. NASA has packed designer plants that have been genetically engineered to grow on Mars, and testing begins on the cyanobacteria that was transported from Earth. This organism is used to produce ammonia fertilizer from the nitrogen in the Martian atmosphere. Crops such as rye, radishes, tomatoes, beans, carrots, and potatoes are grown, and the astronauts' waste is recycled as fertilizer for the plants. Soon, the Mars base will have a delivery of fishes. On Earth, SpaceX now has factories that are producing two starships per week, each one costing $5 million to build. 104 starships are built per year, and 216 starships are ready for each launch window. Earth and Mars orbit around the Sun at different speeds, so there is only a launch window every two years and two months when Earth and Mars are at their closest. During each launch window year, there are only a few days, as low as 12, to launch. And for each day, the launch window ranges from only 30 minutes to 2 hours. So a combination of cargo and crewed starships are built, waiting ready to be launched when the window opens. Back on Mars, one starship launches heading back to Earth, carrying on board the entire 30-person crew who have lived on the Red Planet for over two years. With the landing of the second group of settlers, humans now surpass robots as the majority population. The first architect arrives, along with four privately paying individuals who are paying $50 million each. The rest of the crew are scientists, engineers, and botanist farmers. The first set of small permanent greenhouse domes are constructed, adding to the number of plants being grown on Mars. The settlers eat the first Martian salad. A small portion of the food on the planet now comes from locally grown produce. This slowly reduces the amount of food that needs to be transported from Earth on future missions. SpaceX begins construction of the Depot-X, the first permanent dedicated fueling station on Mars. And work begins on the first 3D printed habitat. The AI Space Factory 3D printer uses a mixture of Martian soil and lab-grown plants which act as the glue, the polymer, that holds the material together. The 3D printed outer shell of the new habitat provides protection from radiation while an inflatable inner shell is added for extra safety. 
parts are deconstructed from one of the starships to create the communications and life support systems for the new 3D printed habitat. As more sophisticated 3D printing robots arrive, larger hydroponic crop facilities are built, generating the majority of the food for the Martian settlers. Kimball Musk even has a team working on Mars with their own vertical farm. The settlers begin testing underground digging for habitat purposes. Data is sent back to the boring company on Earth. Space agencies from all around the world are now sending their own equipment and scientists to Mars Base Alpha. The domain name Amazon.Mars is registered by Jeff Bezos. Blue Origin plans to open for delivery to Mars for space agencies first and then later for private clients. The new Starship crew have transported fishes from Earth to create an aquaponic greenhouse, as there is now enough water being made on Mars. The first funeral is held, the settler is cremated and spread across the Martian landscape. Back at Earth, a fleet of starships full of fuel, cargo and passengers is waiting in low Earth orbit. When the launch window opens, they fly as a fleet to Mars. The spacecrafts are able to support and dock with each other if needed during the seven-month journey. The year 2035. This year will be known as the Great Crossing. Earth and Mars are closer than usual. This is known as a perihelic opposition. The journey is shortened from seven months to five. Hundreds of settlers now land on the red planet. Autonomous industrial-scale 3D printers are now used to grow the base. The international habitat expands and becomes a town-sized settlement of interconnected domes. The construction of the first Martian hospital begins, and a growing number of people decide to remain on Mars as more facilities are built. The first people with the intention of becoming permanent residents arrive on Mars. The colony crosses the 1,000-person mark. There is even a small-scale TV show that is made on the Red Planet. The first Martian marriage is watched across Earth and Mars, while exploration missions discover cave systems suitable for the development of protected underground habitats. The Boring Company Tunnel Digger lands on Mars and begins testing digging underground tunnels for shielded passageways and for underground habitat construction. This marks the beginning of Elon Musk's Boring Mars Company. Robotic bases are now present at different locations further away from the main base. They act as mining outposts. And nation states begin constructing smaller habitats away from the base. They become embassies on Mars. And architectural design moves habitats from purely functional constructions to expressive symbols of national pride. The first person is born on Mars. Scientists study the health of the mother and baby closely.
a large number of the new arrivals are now commercially paying two-year stay customers. All travelers are still required to contribute in growing the Mars Society. With over 7,000 people now on Mars, the first Martian political system is created. Local policies are needed to help govern the residents of Mars and keep pushing the mission of being self-sustaining as a matter of survival for the colony. The first restaurant opens on Mars, serving bio-printed food, including meat. The first bioprinter arrives. It is used at the hospital to test the printing of human parts. A dedicated maternity ward is opened at the hospital to deal with the increase of births from the Martian residents. The first parts of a nuclear fusion power plant begins construction, reducing the need for additional solar panels that are sent with each mission from Earth. Twenty forty-six, the year of the Martian explorers. The first person climbs Olympus Mons. It is two and a half times taller than Mount Everest, making it the tallest mountain and volcano in the solar system. The nine and a half month journey tests the limits of the new flexible spacesuits. The first mRNA manufacturing facility is operational, allowing the people of Mars to be vaccinated for when they return to Earth. Schools are now being built as workers begin to move their families to Mars. 2nd first fully autonomous orbiting manufacturing station arrives in Mars's orbit. The space station processes asteroids for rare materials. It is done in space so that the Mars atmosphere is not polluted. Manufactured goods are then sent down to the Martian surface. Elon Musk opens the first Tesla Gigafactory on Mars. Here they recycle solar panel batteries and assemble open and enclosed electric transporters and also maintain ATVs and other SpaceX transport vehicles. The year 2051 is known as the Second Great Crossing. The close orbits of Earth and Mars allows for another mass movement of people and equipment. Tens of thousands of people land on the Red Planet. Government officials from different Earth nations make the crossing. Mining companies send management teams and exploration geologists to the planet and establish small company habitats. AI robotics and a productive human workforce now makes Mars fully self-sufficient for all essential goods. The colony produces all of its own power, breathable air, water, food, and fuel. If resupply missions from Earth were to stop, the Mars colony would survive and grow, but in a primitive way, as there is still a need for advanced electronics from Earth to keep the colony developing as an advanced civilization. To mark the 10,000 days humans have settled on Mars, the first Mars-born human visits Earth. The traveler is assisted by a robotic suit controlled by a Neuralink brain chip that helps support them in the heavy Earth gravity. On Mars, grasslands and woody plants are thriving in vast enclosed greenhouse domes built over melted ice lakes near the equator. They are slowly adding oxygen to the Martian atmosphere. The first strands of grass are found growing wild on the Martian surface. 
Escaped seedlings from the greenhouses are attempting to survive on the surface of Mars.